So I'll open us up. So have a seat, sir. And um, thank you again for the word this morning and for for the word tonight. Um, I trust we were all encouraged and exhorted and chastened in the Lord. Praise God. Um, I'm just kind of gathering myself after after hearing all that. Um, one thing, I, I have two questions, then we're going to have some guys running the microphones to, to ask questions. And if you have a question, what I'd like you to do is to um, just stand up and I'll call on you and, and, um, and tell us your name and maybe what church you're from um, and then ask your question to Dr. Mbewe. First, brother, uh, a question I have is just tell us about the, the work in, in Zambia, a little bit about your church there and things that are just where you see the fruitfulness of the Lord in the church in Kabwara and, and then maybe in Zambia at large, and then maybe some, some challenges, some obstacles that, that uh, the ministry of the gospel faces there. Yeah, uh, thank you very much uh, for the question. Um, the, we live in a day of opportunity in, in Zambia and in Africa, south of the Sahara, generally speaking. Um, there is clear evidence that Christianity is growing. Uh, in fact, sort of growing leaps and bounds. Um, you, you can't miss that. Um, almost um, every church will speak in terms of growth rather than uh, decline. But in the midst of all that, there is a lot that is concerning, that's worrying, um, part of it is not just the, the obvious uh, cults um, that you might even have here, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and so on, but it's the, the extreme form of uh, charismatic wildfires um, that are beyond conservative Pentecostalism. Uh, it's, it's really African traditional religion that has come into the church through the back door. That's really all it is. Uh, you can't miss it once you just give it a bit of thought. Uh, the, the witch doctor has been replaced by the man of God. Everything else is basically the same. Um, so invariably, although you have so many churches all over the place, when you now ask individuals, how they became Christians, you soon discover that whereas the uh, salvation by works that most of us are clear about when people say, you know, I, I, um, you know, I give money in church, I, I have given myself to uh, visiting the sick and so on. Now you have a situation where it's, uh, I went to church, I had this problem, uh, the pastor prayed for me. That becomes the way in which they are now Christians. Um, I, I had a marital problem. I went and the man of God prayed for me. I, I was trying to get a job. I went, the man of God prayed for me. And so since then, I've been going to that church. Uh, so invariably with that situation, because people are not really saved, you have a lot of scandals in the churches. A lot of scandals to the point where governments are now coming in wanting to control the situation. Um, so that's where I would think that the challenge is, 
in, in uh, today's Christianity on the African continent. Now, part of it, we may say, has been lack of teaching. Uh, that's quite true. Um, and consequently, there's need for quite a lot of teaching to be done, hence the Bible college, the university projects that uh, we are involved in. Uh, having said that, yes, we, we are seeing uh, God's way going forward, and consequently, I'm, I'm very encouraged. Mm -hmm. Amen. One final question before we open it up. Uh, something that ha I think has marked your ministry is a, a confessional doctrinal precision, but yet a, an evangelistic sort of warmth. Uh, speak a little bit about the, as you see it pastorally in your church, and then your, your greater ministry abroad, the importance of doctrinal precision, even maybe more precisely a reformed understanding of the gospel, the doctrines of grace, and how, in your view, how essential is that for faithful gospel ministry? I think for me, this comes primarily from um, what happened in my life soon after I became a Christian. Um, I became a Christian between high school and university. And when I joined the church I joined, which was the local Baptist church uh, in Lusaka, the Lusaka Baptist Church, to be more precise, uh, the, the pastor who was there had also just come in and taken over a series by his predecessor um, who was going through the book of Romans. So he, he picked it up from, from Romans 5 and three years later reached Romans 8. <laughs> Did you hear that cross point? Okay. <laughs> now, you know, going through Romans 5, six, seven, eight, and it was the most glorious period in my entire life. Uh, I've never forgotten how, you know, you'd go there every Sunday morning. The pastor would simply get up, and the first words as he opens his Bible is, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sunday after Sunday. Then after a while, it was, what shall we do then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, you know, and so on. Um, and I was built up together with a number of others through the robust, expository, doctrinally rich preaching. Now, here's the point. The, we had a number of friends at our same university who were going to other churches where it was very popular. They were enjoying the topical preaching that was about you know, how to be happy, how to be victorious, how to be this and how to be that. Well, it wasn't long before the difference in terms of maturity was unmistakable. Um, and that said something to me long before I went into the pastorate, that although this looks heavy, a diet for God's people, this is what will mature them, give them real stability, and enable them to be stalwarts of the faith in the world. And basically that's therefore what I began uh, to do in terms of wanting doctrinal precision, 
because that's what I saw in, uh, in the way my pastor was preaching. In fact, what happened at that time was, as he was preaching through Romans, he was constantly quoting Banner of Truth books. And so being students, we now wanted to be one step ahead of him. So we'd go and buy those same books and read them and anticipate what would be coming the following weekend. And we soon discovered that the books had the, the logo of Whitfield with his hand up. And so when we had pocket money as students, we just go into the Christian bookshop and just check whichever book had that logo we would put aside. <laughs> then we'd take the books to the till and say to the person who's selling, well, I've got so much only, so as you're adding up the figures, don't go beyond this. And when we get back to the student hostels, that's when we begin to really read what the titles are and also what they are all about. And in the midst of that, we would read the books and start arguing with one another, challenging one another, and that's how the, there was a growing doctrinal understanding. In due season, of course, we began to realize that this was referred to as the Reformed faith and so on, and that helped us further in the direction of our own studies. So uh, I would like to say that 30 plus years later in the pastorate, um, I've seen the fruit of this and consequently would advise anyone going into ministry, that the quick fry in the pan, dish out and get everybody excited, yes, it might fill up your auditorium, but it will really not build a people for God. Uh, you, you need to be uh, doctrinally rich and uh, preach God's word in a real expository way that enables God's people to see those truths in the text and thereby grow. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Questions? We have the guys with the microphones in the back. Just raise your hand and they will find you. Don't be shy. Down here in front, Arlene Mbola. Well, you're supposed to say your name. I'm sorry. We've got a, <laughs> got a microphone. Arlene Mbola. What church, what church are you from, Arlene? I'm from Crossway. Yes. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be, a, I'm a little jaded, let me give that disclaimer, um, when it comes to, quote, the continent of Africa and the gospel. Mm. Um, heavy hearted, very much so. Do you think that there's a correlation between missionary work and the prosperity gospel and how it has impacted into the charismatic wildfires, mm. as you call them, and the fish fry of building wells, employing Africans to dig wells, all of these charities that have kind of like warped the message of Christ. Do you think that they have any ties? I know that it's like so many things. However, I'm very challenged with um, even American missionary that I see employing um, the gospel, but the people, the representation of my people is very distorted. We look very poor, very hurt, very, and I have a problem because that's not how I grew up. Okay. 
I don't know. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me try and sort of just piece uh, that together. Um, I think first of all, I, I have a lot of respect for pioneer missionaries. I have a lot of respect for them in the sense that, you know, they they went from the comforts of the Western world largely into uh, Africa that didn't have roads, didn't have lights, didn't have running water, didn't have uh, sewer systems. Uh, by and large, of course not all of them, but by and large, to bring Christianity to us. So, um, and because I read a lot of these biographies, I, I must admit I'm really challenged that our own people are not willing to go from the cities into the rural areas to do the same. And they don't have to cross any ocean. It's just next door, so to speak. Um, so I, I have a lot of respect for that. Number two is that the pioneer missionaries, again, were, were children of their own day. You know, they, they, they were relating to the world as it was then. And, and consequently, there's a lot that when you read it, you read the biographies from this vantage point, you sort of ask questions, I mean, how could they not correct this? Or how could they not see where this was going? An obvious example, which uh, very few people may realize, is that um, in terms of a pragmatic approach to reaching the African people, the, the missionaries shared out different tribes and concentrated on them. Now, it makes sense because then you are able to simply learn one language, give them the grammar, put it into writing, translate it into the Bible, and give them the Bible. So if one mission agency handles one tribe, another one handles another tribe, you are going to reach the people faster. The far-reaching consequences were that denominations became tribal. So if you belong to this tribe, this was your church. Belong to that tribe, that was your church. So when we ourselves took over, instead of continuing to evangelize whoever we meet, we were now simply saying, okay, let's assume um, your, your tribe is Shona, I'm deliberately going the Zimbabwe way, um, well, if you are Shona here, your church has now come in this town. So come to this church. Your church has come. Invariably, therefore, although the churches were full, the gospel was largely lost. Not by the pioneer missionaries, but by what they had put into place, which was, had now matured when the native leaders took over, the indigenous leaders took over. With, with that then has come the, a, a church situation where the, the richness of salvation and the, the Christian worldview that's in the Bible, which ought to change our thinking because our hearts have been renewed, 
so that we can genuinely wrestle with the issues that confront our people, that's not there. And that's the reason why the African traditional religion has entered in through the back door, because although there's a thin veneer of conversion, most of these people are actually not Christians. It's become a social religion. Now, granted, the thinking of most missiologists is that Christianity is there. We can see it. So what we now need to go and give them is social help. Because they've got all their bishops, their archbishops, their reverends, their pastors, uh, churches are all over the place. So why should I go there and start another church as a foreign missionary? Let me deal with the orphans and give them clean water, etc., etc. And invariably, if you're going to do that and continue raising money from here, well, you have to look for, you have to have pictures that will show, well, that will make people with rocky hearts still sh shed tears. <laughs> so they can continue giving. And that's part of this entire mix. So it's true, there are times when I'm visiting the U.S., well, it doesn't happen as many times as I might give the impression, but it's happened once or twice. I'm in the congregation, and then, you know, it's a missions conference, so a missionary is now presenting from Africa, and as I'm seeing the pictures, I'm thinking, okay, I hope there will be another picture that will, you know, show the other side of life. Um, and it gives the impression... The, the whole of Africa is in abject poverty, and if we don't do something about them, all of them will perish, uh, which is not totally correct. But at least understand that it's, it's sort of a historic movement, and it's very difficult to simply you know, shoot a few bullets and correct. Uh, I think we... we we have to live with this. The answer, in my opinion, is still with us in Africa, that we must have the real gospel by which the Holy Spirit is producing real Christians who are being biblically taught and consequently applying what they are learning to the real challenges that are there and consequently turning their world around. Nobody from outside is going to bring those solutions to us. We must rise to the occasion. And so really, at the end of the day, the blame must be put squarely on those of us who are church leaders in Africa because, again, there's just... Individuals taking advantage of the situation, even on the African side, as I said. Yeah. Amen. And doesn't America need that too? I mean, we, we need the gospel. Every culture needs the gospel. Amen. Amen. Uh, so praise God. Yes. Kwame, did you have a, run the mic down to Kwame? Stand up. Stand up. Church. <laughs> Name church. Uh, 
getting kind of awkward. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Kwame Ajaman is my name. Uh, raised at Cross Point. Now planted at Mitchry. All right. Okay. So um, my question is, uh, and, and Zambia, uh, uh, is there pushback uh, from those who are, are engulfed in the prosperity gospel or the social religions? Uh, and it also, have you seen any fruit uh, from your ministry and going into those areas uh, and preaching uh, the true gospel uh, from the social religions or the uh, prosperity gospel? Uh, yes, there's a bit of both. I honestly wouldn't say that I feel any real persecution. Uh, I think uh, people are warned, sort of keep away from me because I'll lead them astray kind of thing. But again, wisdom is seen by its fruit. You know, anybody should be able to see. When I became pastor there, my Sunday school kids have now grown up. They've got, uh, they've married, they've, they're raising kids, they're going up the, um, the ladder in their workplaces. They, they've got stable lives and so on. So, you know, for all the noise happening out there, there's a, an actual witness, as I was saying earlier, changed lives. You, you can't argue against that. Um, so... I think that is also helping with respect to um, me being given platforms. So for most people who've been caught up with this, it's out of ignorance. They just don't know any better. In our uh, pastor's training program that he mentioned, we currently have about 60 to 70 students. Uh, pastoral students, and almost all of them are charismatic pastors. Almost all of them. Uh, and again, they will tell you that they were warned not to come there. But they have felt, well, look, we've heard it all. Let's, let's come and see what it is that's, that's amiss. Uh, so there's, there's genuine hunger. Um, but having said that, Yes, there is the, the negative publicity that uh, continues around. So that's, that's what I would say. I, I wish I would say that we've reached a point where the tide is turning. I wish I would say that in the community generally. But that's not, that's not the case. That's why I said, I think it must have been here, that the government of a number of our countries, um, the, the governments are clamping down on this, um, and they are arguing that, look, you failed to control your own situations in, in your ecclesiastical circles, our people are being abused, defrauded, uh, we can't have this, and so forth. Um, so there's a lot that needs to be done uh, in order to see this turn around. Amen. Any other questions? Raise your hand. Name Robert. Right down there. Ian. Thanks, man. Uh, Robert Ward, member of Cross Point Church and one of the pastors. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've always been encouraged and challenged just in studying church history how um, the, the African church fathers were the ones who held down the fort with, um, with good doctrine and, and really 
preserved Christianity through some difficult eras of the church. Mm. Um, what are some, um, some theologians, pastors, uh, uh, scholars who are doing that work today that we might not be aware of just here in America, we've got our own people that we like to read and follow after. What, what are some African uh, theologians that we should be aware of or, or whose books we can maybe read or, or, or what have you? Yeah, one of the greatest challenges that we have in, in Africa is the, the difficulty to run the work of publishing um, and also to have a network that enables, for instance, um, a theologian, say, in, in South Africa, once he writes on something, that that particular book will find its way into East, West, and North Africa. We lack that. Uh, we don't have, for instance, an Amazon, where you can just click a few things and then things will be delivered to your doorstep. We just don't have it. Uh, a, a number of uh, international uh, publishers have tried uh, to come in and, and, and see what printing companies locally they could um, uh, partner with so that they can encourage African uh, pastors and theologians uh, to write and then have a network through which their literature would spread. And they, they invariably hit a, a blank wall. Um, back home, for instance, in Zambia, um, I edit a magazine called Reformation Zambia. Now, trust me when I say this, it's the only Christian magazine in the whole country. The only. When I first went to a printer to ask them to start printing, I've never forgotten how the owner of the printing company said to me, Conrad, you're wasting your time. Uh, books and magazines here, they just won't sell. Um, and went on with all these difficulties I've talked about, the networking and everything. Um, well, it's persevered up to now. That was in, in 2003. But the point is, the last magazine that was printed there, he sent word to me when the magazines were uh, being brought that he's closing down business. So that's, that's the difficulty that is there on, on the ground. Um, however, let me at least encourage you on one um, publisher that's trying from outside and really struggling to encourage conservative evangelical authors on the continent to write, and then they're trying to distribute. It's uh, the organization called Langham Literature or Publishing. Uh, Langham being L-A-N-G-H-A-M. It's from the ministry of uh, John Stott, who's since uh, gone on to glory. And his concern was exactly what we're talking about, that the, the first world was so blessed, but when he went into what he called the majority world, 
South America, Asia, Africa, and Eastern Europe, he found that they were lacking in these uh, basic tools. And consequently, he used his royalties, because he'd written quite a number of books, to invest into this area. So they do have a catalog um, online where you will see a number of African, uh, a number of them are actually alive, current uh, authors, pastors, theologians who are writing uh, Langham Literature or Langham Publishing. They are still trying to get this network into place and they're still struggling because, as I said, we just lack those structures. Other questions? In the back there, is that Danny Derringer? Yes. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, I'm Danny Derringer, Cross Point. Hi, everybody. So the question that I have actually relates to racism and missions. Um, you know, most of Africa, I think, except for maybe uh, Ethiopia, have been colonized at some point in time in history. And I know in some places, particularly um, since the fall of apartheid in South Africa, there has been some reaction to colonizers, white people, Europeans, people that you know, come into Africa, whether that's part of their personal heritage or not. And what sort of impact have you seen in your part of Africa with a reaction to colonizers, you know, coming in, bringing your faith, your colonizing mindset of religion to us, is that an impact that you actually see? Is that a problem? Is that something that um, we should be aware of if we were to go into missions or if we're sending people into missions into Africa? Yeah, I think that's, that's a helpful question. Uh, I think, first of all, what I would say is that the countries that more recently fought against any form of colonization those countries would be more sensitive to issues of uh, colonial masters or uh, white, black sort of uh, skin colors and so on because they've, they've just recently had their bad experiences. And so South Africa is one such example. Um, in fact, one of the greatest um, moments of shock I ever experienced is in my own church, every year in June, I have a day that we call Heroes of the Faith Day. And I teach about various individuals across history who've had a great impact for the Christian faith. So I've taught about, I mean, each day would be, each year would be a different individual. So I've taught about Calvin, uh, Wilberforce, um, Susanna Wesley, um, um, Francis Ridley Havergal, I've uh, taught about um, um, David Livingstone, um, and so forth, Spurgeon. Um, it's been going on for about 25 years, so, you know, I've got different characters. Um, I taught also about George Whitfield in my own country. When I visited South Africa, someone who had known about my speaking on George Whitfield, asked me to do the same at a pastor's conference, which I did. Blissfully ignorant that anybody would be offended about this. 
When I finished, a group of pastors accosted me and said, but why should you, a black man, come to speak to us black men about a white man? Now, I never thought I was talking about a white man. I was speaking about George Whitfield. <laughs> but you see, it's, it's the fact that where I'm coming from, my own generation was born, well, I was born just before our independence, but by the time I could think and write and <laughs> read, I was already in the new Zambia. So for me, teaching, I mean, like, um, next year, I'll be speaking about uh, a guy called Onken, who, uh, through whom the Baptist work was established across Europe. Before him, there were hardly any Baptists across Europe. By the time he was dying, there were about half a million. So I want to teach our people concerning such a person. When I shared with our elders, we were all, I didn't even tell them the details. I just said, Google this guy. And they were all saying, yeah, next year, we need to learn about him. Uh, so I think that's the first difference that one needs to appreciate, that when you get there, be all ears, be, find out the sensitivity levels where you are serving. It will vary in different places um, in Africa. The, the second thing that I, I, I would mention is that um, urbanized Africa tends to use the language of the nation that colonized them. So, for instance, if I call my wife and children right now, we'll be speaking English. I called her this, this afternoon, and we're, we're talking English um, without even thinking that we're speaking English. Um, so there's, but when you get into rural Africa, then yes, the, the language of that particular tribe is the language of the streets. And so again, when you cross over, it depends on where you will serve. If you are really just serving right in the center of a city, well, you'll pick up a little bit of the tribal language, but most probably you'll be functioning uh, in English. So for instance, Vodi Bokam, who I'm told has preached here uh, once or twice, he's a member of our church, he, he, he loves greeting in the vernacular, but that's simply because, you know, he wants to say, well, I'm one of you, I'm one of you. <laughs> but beyond the greeting, I don't think he has added anything for the last three years. <laughs> and he's quite comfortable. So I think that's, that's an, another aspect. Um, when, we, when we were born, we all had English names. We've since given our children African names, so there's been that transition that has also taken place. So none of my children have any English names. Um, but it wasn't sort of kicking the colonial masters in their teeth. It was simply that we now wanted our own names, and, and so we began to give them to our children. So there's, there's quite a bit of... Uh, a mixture there. So what I would say is simply 
when you get off the plane on the African continent, sort of don't get off the plane already trying to teach. Okay? Sort of zip your mouth a little bit and be all ears for a while and just assimilate what exactly is going on, the sensitivities and so on, and you find that depending on where you are, you can then uh, be able to relate appropriately without losing that which you're trying to gain. Amen. Maybe time for one or two more questions. Yes, down front here. Uh, hi, my, my name is Matt Burke, and I'm from Westminster. Um, wondering about the status of Reformed theology on the continent. I, it seems to be a minority, I think. Yeah. And so I was just wondering um, how it's, is it growing? Is there a foothold anywhere? Um, just wanted to hear you talk about that. All right, thank you. Yeah, uh, to begin with, there were denominations that were started by pioneer missionaries in Africa that were based squarely on a reformed heritage. So for instance, we have uh, the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa. And in Zambia, it's the Reformed Church of Zambia. It's one of the biggest denominations in the whole country. In Malawi, it's primarily the Presbyterian Church. Again, it's one of the biggest, uh, and so forth. So if you were to go into their documents, you will, for instance, find the, the Westminster uh, statements there. Um, you find the, the Belgian Confession, um, um, and so forth, the, the uh, three forms of unity. You find all of them in the documents. Um, the, the challenge, however, is that because those denominations have largely become tribal, they don't primarily think in terms of what do we believe, they think more in terms of are you in our tribe. And that's what has caused them to largely lose the doctrinal robustness. Uh, so uh, I'll give it just one example, and it's perhaps humorous. Um, I, I attended a wedding where a, a man in our church was marrying a lady in a Presbyterian church, and the wedding was in that church. In fact, the two churches are in the same neighborhood, and we're friends with the pastor. So we shared, he officiated, I preached. So while he was officiating, he said to his congregation, who were the majority there, uh, he said to them, uh, this man's members are coming to collect girls from our church to add to his church. So I want to send you guys to also go and fish girls there. <laughs> and then when it was my time to preach, since you know now I was with the opportunity to have my um, sort of hit back, uh, I said, now guys, um, 
Just know that the girls in my church not only know the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, they also know the Westminster Confession of Faith. <laughs> so when you come, they will put you to the test. <laughs> I got a lot of comments afterwards that a number of them were asking, what is the Westminster Confession of Faith? <laughs> so th there's been a, um, a poverty of real doctrinal understanding. Now, what has happened of late, primarily because of the internet, there's been a lot of young people that are downloading sermons. And usually it will be the sort of John MacArthur, John Piper, Paul Washer kind of sermons. And they are beginning to come to the Reformed faith and then asking their pastors about this. And the pastors being ignorant, the, the, there's quite a, a stirring that's beginning to happen in the churches, especially among the young adults, the professionals. And that's really the, the windfall that we are capturing at the moment. Because through the internet, they are then beginning to inquire now, who else on this continent believes what we are now hearing and excited about? And consequently, a few of us who are louder than others about this, they are then connecting with us and we're seeking to encourage them uh, to continue along those lines. So it's a minority, still very much a minority, but it's in the last five to 10 years, I must say I've been very encouraged by the numbers that I'm beginning to see uh, coming through the ranks. Most of them are still in the pews, but embracing the reformed faith. We're seeing a few that are beginning to get into the pulpits and consequently leading churches along those lines. But those are still very, very few. That's the situation. Well, let's do this. I, I'm going to ask one final question. And then uh, after Pastor answers that question, JW, would you be prepared to just pray a prayer for us, for Pastor Conrad and his ministry? Um, and, and just that will be our, our benediction. And then um, it's 8 o'clock. There's no school tomorrow. We want to give ample time for you to just interact personally with, with Dr. Mbewe if you want to. So we'll hang around for as long, um, well, as long as he says he wants to go back to bed, I guess, because <laughs> we have the, the uh, seminar tomorrow. But just maybe not so much a question, but just from your perspective as somebody who is obviously many decades of fruitful ministry, an internationally known ministry, at least in the circles that these churches swim in, one of the most respected leaders in, of our day, just a word of exhortation, encouragement, rebuke uh, to the American church from your perspective. Uh, what, what would you say to us? And feel, feel free to, to not uh, pull any punches. Yeah, well, really, for your encouragement, uh, you may not think so. But because I don't just travel in the U.S., but around the world, I, I'm quite encouraged by the, uh, the let's do something atmosphere that I find in 
the reform circles that I visit in the U.S. I, I visit every so often as well in, in Europe and um, the, the island called England with Wales and uh, Scotland and, and Ireland and so on. And I tend to find there more of a uh, how much longer can we still survive in the midst of the, the onslaught of darkness. And I find that to be fairly discouraging compared to, you know, when I get come here and you're speaking in terms of, for instance, a church that began some, did you say 15 years ago here? And then, you know, you, you can see that there's, there's work going forward, uh, ch another church at least more recently being planted out of here and so on. Um, so I think the first thing for me is just encourage you to to keep that positive spirit, um, throwing in your lot with uh, the the um, the work of the gospel and the 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 centrality of the gospel as it was declared by the reformers, which is really the gospel that the Bible proclaims. So I'd like to encourage that. The, if I was to speak in terms of um, a negative, what I failed to, to put my, my head around, my mind around, is how the outside the four walls of the church, the world seems to be spiraling downward. Um, I keep asking myself, but then aren't these believers being salt and light out there? Aren't they impacting their world? Because where I am coming from, that's the agenda that seems to be there, that we don't just get saved, we must be salt and light wherever we are in in all the strata of society, uh, that therefore Christian principles, biblical principles, should undergird life and living. Uh, here I tend to find that the moment you're out there, it's almost like going from a room this bright into pitch black darkness on the outside. Uh, the schools have been swept away. The judicial system has been swept away. The media has been swept away. And you're thinking, but where are the believers? Where are the Christians? So it seems to me that that's a battle you, you have to fight. In a sense, it informed what I preached on this evening. Uh, that there, there seems to have been a, a watering down of real Christianity out there, and consequently, uh, the the world is is slapping the Christian Church in the face. Um, so, how that fight was lost somewhere in your history, uh, I certainly don't understand. Um, but it's 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 something you have to deal with. Uh, because that's what Jesus Christ has called you to do. Well, first of all, to be salt and light.
And then you can't hide that light under the four walls of this building and roof. It has to get out there. Uh, to begin with, that obviously means a major clash. But hey, God is on your side. The truth is on your side. Um, and so forth. So I think for me, that's, that's where I'd like to leave uh, the challenge uh, or, and maybe a, a gentle rebuke. Amen. Amen. Well, how about before JW prays for us and for Pastor Conrad, just a, another uh, just appreciation for this evening and his ministry to us. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Amen. As I said, stick around. We've got some cheap cookies and some bad coffee, I think, and um, a wonderful brother to fellowship with, so don't hurry out. Meet each other. Um, come say hello to Pastor Mbewe. Brother, pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for this uh, night, this time that we've had to sit under the teaching of this uh, brother of ours that you have brought from a long distance uh, to come and to to speak and preach the word of God to us. I thank you for his faithfulness in doing that, the clarity and accuracy with which he exposited the word of God. And we thank you that it is balm to our souls and, and uh, it is our joy and our encouragement when we hear the word of God brought to us in such a way. And I thank you for him and for the blessings that you have bestowed upon uh, Pastor Mbewe and his church in Lusaka. And I thank you for the work you're doing in Zambia and that they are, are heralds of the truth and that your word is going forth uh, from Zambia to other areas of Africa. I thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness in the battle in the midst of false doctrines and false teachers that have come in among the midst of them, as Paul warned us, would happen. I pray for their strength and for Pastor Conrad as he equips the saints in his church to, to battle that false doctrine and to show that they are different. And I thank you, Father, that uh, you have encouraged us through the questions and answers tonight and that uh, you have also uh, given us this gentle rebuke. And I pray, Lord, that we would... We would not only hear, but that we would heed, that we would meditate upon it, and that we would put these words of truth from Titus and a gentle rebuke from a dear brother to, uh, into action tonight. Father, we thank you that <clears throat> when your goodness and loving kindness appeared as our Savior, you saved us not because of anything we had done in righteousness, but according to your own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom you poured out richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I pray, Father, that we would go out into our world as salt and light and that they would see the difference in us. For Jesus' sake, we pray tonight. Amen.